This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Before we start, a quick note. Later in this episode, we discuss suicide. Please take care as you listen. Witness Docs from Stitcher. Okay. Okay, so I was not expecting this. Um, Chief Radley and I were going to talk, and then he rolled up to where I was sitting and just said, Come on, get in, we got to go. And uh, so I hopped in the car and grabbed my recorder. Okay, come on, go ahead. I was meeting up with Rob Radley that day because just a few weeks before, he had been sworn in as the new police chief. So he holds a unique position in the community. He's not from Short Creek and was never FLDS. But now, he oversees a police force that was once controlled by the FLDS church. A police force that was found guilty of discrimination based on religion, which is a constitutional violation. So Rob's work these days involves trying to build trust in a community where trust has long been broken. All right, let's see what they're going to figure out here. Okay. But on the day I rode along with him in 2019, he was dealing with a more practical matter. Oh, oh, stay. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Pops up. She pops up. So there's a cow that got his his foot stuck in the cattle grate, and there's like, it looks like one, two, three, maybe four officers, and then some kind of like a public works or like a construction worker. Um, they're all just like looking at this cow on the ground, and one of one of the officers was just kind of rubbing the cow's head, and. Um, I have no idea how they're going to get this cow out. We were on the Arizona side of Short Creek, across the highway from most of the houses and restaurants and businesses. The spot where the cow is stuck, the cattle grate, it's a series of metal bars that's supposed to keep cattle from crossing a road. But apparently, this cow had tried to cross anyway, and one of her legs had fallen in. The fire department just got here. I was out there for about 45 minutes, watching as everyone carefully moved planks of wood on either side of the cow so she'd have an even surface to stand on once her leg was free. And then they positioned straps underneath her so they could gently lift her up. 
There were volunteer firefighters in navy blue shirts, city employees with orange vests, some FLDS, and some not. There are like 15 people here now. They're getting ready to lift her. In the end, the cow made it out unscathed. When we got back to Chief Radley's office, he wanted to make sure I understood what had really gone down. So, well, what's a cow worth? I mean, to the family who counts on that as income and counts on that for feeding families, that's a significant deal, right? But for us, the thing is, is it's not the cow. You've, if, if you think about rescuing a cow, you miss the greater point. Fifteen men coming together on one issue, working through it, trying to figure out what's best. And the cow just happens to be the thing. Okay? But you had mixed religions there. That was a win. I, I look back and I go, that was a win to get all those men together to solve a problem. That cow was invaluable. This episode is our last one. We've spent a lot of time this season talking about division. So today, we're exploring what it might look like for people in this community to move beyond their past and maybe even heal. I'm Sarah Ventry. I'm Ash Sanders. And this is Unfinished Short Creek. Episode 10, Hallelujah. Jessup, go this way. Okay. Okay. I was like, which way did Mayor Jessup go? Donia Jessup was elected mayor of Hilldale in 2017 after the first ever free and fair election in Shore Creek's history. She was the first ex-FLDS woman to ever hold this office. So her campaign caught the attention of the media, and there was a lot of reporting when she won. But the day after the reporters went home, Donia had to wake up and get to work. Okay, come on in. Where do you want to set up? The desk is great. This is a giant office. I know. I'm like, I don't... We met up with Dania at City Hall, a little more than a year into her term. She's building democracy in Hilldale, a town where the church used to make all the rules. Hey, I'm wondering if you can help us decorate the float. Most of her time has actually been spent on what might seem like little things. Zoning the city, setting up better high-speed internet, working with the council to create the town's new slogan, Welcome Home. But when you look at all these little things together, you start to see how big of a deal they actually are. Okay, go back. Let me give this to Maria real quick. 
So three years ago, you moved back into this community. Can you just reflect on that for a sec? Like, what have you learned? I've learned how to take care of myself a lot better. I've learned boundaries. But I'm, I'm still learning what I can do. Um, I'll have a meeting and I'll be like, after the meeting, I'll like, I should have handled this different. And they're like, well, you're the mayor. These, you can do this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I could do that. Can I throw somebody out of my chambers if they're yelling and screaming at us? Well, now I know by dang I can and I should have. And honestly, even being mayor now, I, I tell people, I'm going to run this office like I'm not going to run for office again. I'm going to make decisions that are just the right decision, not with, well, we're going to make so-and-so happy because when it comes to election time again, we're going to need their votes. I'm going to make decisions that are right for Hildell. And it's going to piss some people off, but it's going to make some people happy. And that's kind of the sucky part of being in politics. You don't make everybody happy all the time. And I'm okay with that. Welcome to America. It is no longer the wild, wild west. There's processes in place. Donia knows she can't make everyone happy all the time. But in Short Creek, even the smallest decisions can cause drama and division. I've had a lot of, you're in our face. You didn't just go away and be an apostate. You had to come back and get in our face. It was kind of like, nah, 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 nah. And I don't feel like I've come back with that spirit or that feeling at all. Um, I can't expect the FLDS to understand that, and I don't, because I understand where they're at, too. But even for this 4th of July, we asked for the fire engines to go around and wake us up. Waking up the town with fire engines on the 4th of July is an old Short Creek tradition. The trucks would drive around at 5 a.m. with their sirens blaring to kick off the celebrations. The kids in town used to look forward to it. But the tradition was canceled in 2002 when Warren Jeffs came to power. And the fire chief just cried. He said, that is so traumatic to me that you want me to be a part of your celebrating of the country that has my prophet in prison. I'm like, okay, get it. We'll find another way. Let's call this meeting to order. This will be a regular Hildell City Council meeting held at 320 East Knoll Avenue, Hildell, Utah. Let's do a roll call. Lawrence. Here. As mayor, Dania is in charge of running Hildell City Council meetings. Here. Dania. Here. Jared, would you lead us in the pledge? Yeah, will the audience please rise? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. When I was living in Short Creek last summer, I went to just about every city meeting that was open to the public. City council, utility board, special work sessions. I was watching a room full of people who had never done democracy learn to do democracy. So sometimes it kind of felt like I was in an episode of Parks and Recreation. Christian, is there a way that you could put this up on the TV screen for the public? Uh, I'm not going to be able to. We have some technical difficulties with that screen right now that we're, we're working on. Unfortunately, I can't put it up. One time, a meeting was going long, and a city employee got up out of her seat and offered me snacks. There was a work session where the person in charge of the parks department left early to go on a date, and everyone teased him on his way out the door. But sometimes the meetings were incredibly tense. There was one meeting in particular last year where former church security guard Willie Jessup was sitting a few rows in front of Elisa Wall, the woman who helped take down Warren Jeffs. 
Helaman Barlow, the former police chief who flipped in the DOJ case, was sitting across the aisle from the new police chief, Rob Radley, you know, the one from the cow rescue. And just a few rows back from them was Colorado City Mayor Joseph Allred, an FLDS believer, just there to observe. And sitting front and center was Donia, trying to keep everything moving. Okay, presentation to counsel. Despite the mix of people, things were pretty much at a low simmer until about an hour and a half in when someone in the audience was called to speak. So first of all, I want to say thanks for giving us the time to hear our side of the story. And you can cry, it's okay. We do that. No, I'm not even gonna cry. I'll even be nice. This is Jerusha Jeffs. Jerusha is asking for some help, clearing up some business she and her husband had with the old city council, the one that was made up entirely of church members. She and her husband, Art, own an auto parts store just off the highway. We've always had the interest of our communities as a top priority, and nobody has ever had a problem, a concern, or an issue with preferred parts or Art Jeffs until we fell out of favor with the FLDS Church. Um, You guys have probably heard a lot of the story. They tried to remove three of our children from us. They tried to remove our home. Like most of the people in this meeting, Jerusha and Art are former FLDS members. When they left the church, the community boycotted and vandalized their store. And as she's explaining all of this, I can't help but glance over at Joseph Allred, who is FLDS. Jerusha isn't mincing any words. I felt so anxious watching this go down. It was like being at a dinner party where the family starts fighting and you're just sitting there in the middle of it. Jerusha goes on to explain a messy series of events in which the city, when it was run by the church, wouldn't allow Art and Jerusha to buy the land at a fair price. And now she wants the city to make it right. The only way we can grow our business is to, to own the dirt and have the same rights as everyone else. And yes, we are not gold digging. As I watched from the audience, I realized why these meetings can be so fraught and personal. City Hall is one of the few places where people can voice decades of anger and pain. After the election, people could actually participate in their government and openly question their leaders for the first time. It's the space that so many have wanted, but that the church never allowed. We're asking you to help us to take the next steps for us to be able to take ownership of Lot 31. So, thank you for your help. Thank you, Jerusha. Thank you. Jerusha, there's going to be a couple of questions. Art and Jerusha eventually got their land, and now they own it outright. Um, Scheduling the next regular scheduled council meeting will be on the 2nd of October, and meeting adjourned. I made it about the place. This is Elisa Wall. Short Creek was the pain. Short Creek was the reason I had dealt with so many years of PTSD or night terrors or whatever these things were. And to have that that reality check within myself to realize that it wasn't the place, it was the people, was really valuable because it allowed me to decompartmentalize Short Creek for what it was to see Short Creek as the beautiful place that it is. When Elisa moved back to Short Creek in 2016, 
she was determined to build a community that could move beyond Warren Jeffs. But many of Elisa's new neighbors weren't exactly ready to move on. For so many people, whether they were in the FLDS or recently left the FLDS, I was such a theme of pain for them. You know, it was Elisa Wall that was persecuting the, the faiths. It was Elisa Wall that was preventing all of them from going, going to heaven. And so for so many people, I was the only representation that they could pinpoint their pain on. For many, Elisa had played a big role in destroying their community. She'd helped put their prophet in prison, which had sent Shore Creek into freefall. And now she was coming in from the outside and trying to change things all over again. So one day, somebody made it very clear that Elisa wasn't welcome. I was walking into the hardware store. I, was, I had been in town for almost two weeks. And I was getting some stuff to start to fix up where I was staying at the time. Elisa noticed a guy in the store giving her a look. But she ignored him and walked through the checkout. But they happened to be waiting for me when I came out. When Elisa got to her car, the man exploded at her. I remember very much thinking, who is this person and why are they attacking me? And he was so emotional about it that I couldn't truly understand what he was saying. But I could feel that there was a lot going on for him. It was vibrating off of them, the anger and the, the, the pain and the, oh, and he just started into it. Was that man FLDS or ex-FLDS? He was recent ex-FLDS. So it was still very fresh and very, very much a part of his life. This man was yelling at Elisa because the church had split his family apart, and he had decided that somehow Elisa had contributed to that. At first, Elisa felt defensive. She wanted to yell back and tell this man that he didn't know what he was talking about. But she didn't. And there was this, this, this calm that just came over me where I just thought to myself, just listen, just listen, Elisa. Don't respond. I realized that he just needed to be heard. It wasn't about me. Because then the conversation went and the yelling turned from pointing at me and my actions to his pain. And this person was so much like me. You know, they were trying to just reconcile their 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 past and the pain that they were experiencing every single day, the pain of, of knowing that they didn't know where their mother was, they didn't know where their family was, they didn't have answers to why things had happened the way they had. But for so many years in his mind, the only person that had caused all of it was me. Ultimately, there came a point where he just kind of broke down and I had the opportunity to hug him and just say, I'm sorry that you had to experience this. If you ever want to know my side, you're welcome to ask me. And, you know, he's never come to me and asked, but we see each other, and he's always friendly and kind now. But it took that experience to achieve that place. I've thought about this scene so many times. Here is a woman who was forced into marriage by Warren Jeffs hugging a man who was screaming at her for taking down Warren Jeffs. For a long time, I was amazed by what Elisa was able to do in that parking lot. But as I thought about it more, I started to wonder if it should have happened. Why should Elisa, a woman who was abused for years by the FLDS church, have to absorb this man's anger? 
Doesn't she have a right to express her own anger? But despite the differences between Elisa and the man in the hardware parking lot, there is something that unites them. They both feel pain and loss about what has happened to their community. And maybe to really heal what's happened in Shore Creek, more people might have to do what Elisa did. They might have to focus on what they have in common, which means that healing might look less like revenge and more like forgiveness. As Elisa was telling this story and talking about family and separation, there was something I just couldn't shake. It's something I'd been thinking about throughout our reporting in Short Creek. It's pretty personal, but I really wanted to ask Elisa about it. So there's a part of your story that resonates with me like very, very deeply, and I think the circumstances were really different, but um, uh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. So my mom left me when I was 17, and I didn't know if I was ever going to see her again either. And um, there was a period of time where I didn't know if she was alive, and I didn't think I would ever see her again. And um, I remember how painful that time was, and that I felt like I was going to have to live with that uncertainty forever. And that actually, when I was 17. My mom left me to go live with a man who claimed to be a shaman. She'd been having some kind of a breakdown for a few years. Then she started using hard drugs and stopped being a mom. And when the shaman told her to run away with him, to be in a polygamous relationship, she left. It was the most traumatic experience of my life. I told Elisa this because I wanted to ask her about the thing I spent years trying to figure out how to do. The same thing that everyone in Short Creek is trying to figure out. How to move forward after something so devastating. And I'm just, like, wondering, um, like, especially in that the most uncertain period of your life, how you coped with those sort of feelings of just not knowing if you would ever be on solid ground again. I can empathize with that pain because it's kind of all-encompassing. It... it it resides within you in a way that's hard to see, um, and it becomes such a core part of your functioning ability. And um, at that time, I didn't have the most effective coping skills. I still had all the residual crap that I was not good enough. And it was so woven into my very core that it's taken me my lifetime to detangle that, this theme that I wasn't good enough. And I think I can look at my own children and and understand how valuable they were in my world because they helped me to cope in that I had to show up for them. I had a young, beautiful daughter, and um, I realized that she was so much like me. So many people would say, oh, your, your daughter's just like you. And she is. She looks just like me. She acts just like me. She's a mini me. And I remember the overwhelm and the fear. I do not want her to be like me. I wanted her to be better than me. I wanted her to have more opportunities. There's, I wanted her to be nothing like me. I wanted her to have more. I wanted her to have a mother. 
And I realized that the practices that I was living in my day-to-day life when it came to unworthiness, when it came to anger and trying to blame someone and trying to to reconcile all of the pain that was existing in me, it was only coming out as fear of not being a good parent. And I was robbing my own daughter of having a mother. And that was a really important place for me to come to that to be different than my mother was to me, to show up and be in her world, I had to do something different. And I had to absolutely show up different for myself. Otherwise, I was just going to continue the cycle. My mom is a part of my life now, but I've thought a lot about what Elisa said, about how she chooses to show up for her daughters. When my mom was gone, all I wanted to do was pretend that it hadn't happened, that it didn't affect my relationships or my ability to focus or how well I did in school. I would do everything I could to feel okay. And there were moments that I actually believed that I was. But then a friend would talk about how annoying her mom was, or I'd hear a song that reminded me of mine, and I'd lose it again. I was so profoundly sad and angry. But there was a part of me that still tried to leave myself a little bit open, in case there was a chance that it didn't always have to be this way. And one of the reasons I was so interested in hearing Elisa's answer is because it seems like she's doing the same thing. She's not trying to reconstruct the past or even start fresh. She's choosing to heal her relationship with her mom by healing the relationship with her own kids, by showing up, and by leaving herself open to the possibility of something new. More from Short Creek after the break. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Before we get to the second half of today's episode, we want to tell you about some extra episodes we're working on. As you probably know by now, the story of Short Creek is really complicated. 
and we just couldn't fit everything into 10 episodes. So we're releasing four bonus episodes of Unfinished Short Creek in Stitcher Premium. For example, did you know that the FLDS are not the only fundamentalist Mormon group in the area? It's true. In one bonus episode, we'll talk about some of those other groups and about the multiple people claiming today that they are the true prophet of God. There will also be an episode where I go behind the scenes and talk about what it was like to live in the former prophet's house in Short Creek for three months. I'll share some of the really interesting things I learned and take you to some parts of town with some tape that didn't make it into the show. And of course, we're doing a bonus episode where we respond to your comments and questions. Email us a voice memo or drop us a note at unfinished at stitcher.com. If you want to check out the bonus episodes, just sign up at stitcherpremium.com with the code WITNESS for a free month of premium listening. Your premium subscription helps directly support our reporting, too. That's stitcherpremium.com, promo code WITNESS. So I'm standing in front of the schoolhouse. This is the spot where the community would have gathered while it was being raided, probably at this exact time or really close to it, 66 years ago. It's about 10 minutes to 6, and the sun hasn't risen yet. It's that, like, point where you can, like, it starts to be light, but you can't see the sun. The sky is still, like, a dark blue. It's not dark, dark, but it's not light either. In the last few years, Shore Creek has changed a lot. In a place that was once entirely FLDS, there are community yoga classes and a running club and even a new health clinic. You can get cupcakes from the local keto bakery, and beer at a bar called The Edge of the World. There's even an annual music festival where there are outlaw country musicians and teen girls in metallic temporary tattoos. Many of the kids in town now go to public schools again, and a couple schools even got STEM grants for computer science programs. And the divisions in the community have blurred a bit. Faithful FLDS who once may have avoided apostates completely might nod now when they see them. Colorado City and Hilldale worked together on some municipal projects. And some of the tall, concrete walls in town have started to come down. Things in Short Creek seem to be shifting, slowly. But there's still a lot of pain here. After decades of church rule, many people in Short Creek face staggering levels of poverty. Lots of ex-believers have turned to drugs and alcohol to cope with the pain of losing their faith and their families. The suicide rate in Short Creek is more than double the national average. One man here told us that every time his phone rings, he's afraid he'll learn that yet another person he loves has died. When Warren Jeffs went to prison, he left a religious and political void in Short Creek. But his absence also created a psychological void. Ex-believers struggled to fill the hole left by leaving their religion. And believers watch as their families leave Short Creek and scatter across the country. Someone in Short Creek once told us, Short Creek's like an onion. The more you peel it, the more you cry. And it's true. 
this place has layers and layers of pain. And the more you peel back those layers, the more you feel just how much Warren Jeffs has impacted this community. Sometimes this place feels like it will be marked forever by what Warren did. And when I think about whether this community can change and who could change it, I think of Warren's son, Roy. Roy was one of Warren's 54 children. He grew up in Short Creek. But from the time Roy was little, Warren told him he wasn't righteous enough and sent him away on what he called repentance missions. These missions were actually labor camps where Roy worked with other FLDS tending livestock or building houses. Roy toiled for years at these missions because secretly he believed his dad was right about him, that he was bad. But finally, Roy hit his limit. At 22, he walked off a job in Des Moines, Iowa, spent the last bit of his money on a cabin airfare, and boarded a plane to Salt Lake City. On his flight, Roy was certain that God would strike the plane down and kill everyone on board. But when the plane landed safely in Salt Lake City, Roy was alive. He spent the next years trying to fit into his new world. He watched CNN for hours every night to learn about American politics. He changed out of his FLDS pants and long-sleeved shirts. He held a woman's hand. He tried alcohol. I met Roy a few years ago, not long after he settled in Salt Lake. I was reporting on Short Creek for Rolling Stone, and Roy gave me a ride down to the community. I liked Roy immediately. He was smart and full of a deadpan sort of irony. As we drove, we talked about his life in the FLDS. He told me how hard it was growing up with so many strict rules. We discussed his views on polygamy. But the thing I remember most about that conversation was something Roy told me a few hours into the ride. By that point, he'd been out of the FLDS for years. But he said that after everything he'd done to be a different person, the thing he still feared the most is that he would become his father. That because of his dad, and his upbringing, he would always be bad. And no matter what he did to escape it or stop it, he would end up repeating his father's mistakes over and over again. A couple hours later, we got to Shore Creek and pulled up at Roy's old home. Outside on the chimney, there was a giant phrase in brick, pray and obey. Inside, volunteers were busy turning the house into a drug rehab center. So Roy and I went in, grabbed some brushes, and started painting over the past. So um, this is my first room when we moved down from Salt Lake. Um, this is tape of Roy Jeffs from that day in spring of 2018. Roy was being interviewed in his childhood bedroom for a feature story about Shore Creek. We had two triple bunk beds, so you had six boys in here. Um, which was kind of crazy. And every morning, my dad would walk into everybody's room and flip the light on, and he would be like, rise and shine. And then he would, like with each one of us, he would say our prayers. So we would kneel up on our bed, and we would repeat after him, and just like kind of taught us all how to pray. And a lot of times he would have a song. He would walk in singing a lot of times. Or he would page over the intercom and sing a song and wake everybody up, um, which is these intercoms here. 
it's moments like those that really, I mean, it's kind of screws with your psyche because you're, you're like, you know, on one hand, these, these memories, they really riveted in me this relationship that I felt like I had with him. But then on the other hand, you know, he treated me so horribly in, in, you know, later on in life, um, that it, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very conflicting feeling. And, you know, some days I will be like, you know, I just hate him for everything that the bad he's done. Some days I'll just be like, I miss him so much because of things like that. Or like, you know, he would come in and like, that was my first thing in the morning. Like, and I loved waking up. Um, so there, there was a lot of good, good memories here. Um, excuse me. One of the last times I saw Roy, he was coming out of the UEP office in Hilldale. He had an application in his hands, and he told me he was thinking of moving back to Shore Creek. But Roy never moved home. In May of 2019, Roy took his own life. It would be easy to make Roy into a symbol for the tragedy of Shore Creek. But Roy is not a symbol or a tragedy. He's a person. And I will never know the exact reasons he did what he did. But I think about the fear he shared with me. The fear of becoming his father. Because after all the reporting we've done here and all the stories we've heard, I want to know if it is possible for a person or even a whole community to overcome its past. I'll admit that sometimes in the course of reporting this story, I felt despair. But now I think about all the ex-believers coming back to Shore Creek, people like Donia and Terrell and Elisa. For a long time, I thought it was strange that these people wanted to return to a place that caused them so much pain. But now, it sort of gives me hope. Because the people who are rebuilding here aren't renouncing the past. They're claiming it. They know that tragedies have happened here. But they also know that tragedy is not the only thing that happened here, or the only thing that can happen. They're here in a place that caused them pain, and they're not giving up. Because Short Creek is their home, for better or worse. And the people here, however imperfect or difficult they might be, are family. In 2019, four years after Miriam and George Jessup brought back the 4th of July, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning, and I met up with you, Ash, yep. and our producer, John, for another Independence Day celebration. Oh my God, Sarah, I am still forgiving you for waking me up at that time. <laughs> Don't look at me. I am not the one that planned an event that started at 6 a.m. <laughs> Fair. We had to get over to the mayor's walk at City Hall. Good morning. Thanks, Mayor. Good morning. Donia Jessup was there, and she was ready to lead a group of community members on a mile-long walk to Cottonwood Park. Pretty good crowd for 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you all for showing up to our 4th of July celebration. Let's head out. Lots of mud! When we finally got to the park, it was fun. Hey, how was everyone? <laughs> George and Miriam were flipping pancakes under a big food tent. Hey, it's good to see Happy you. Fourth. Good morning. Happy Independence Day. And Terrell Musser was there. 
proudly carrying around what looked like a homemade yearbook. A place for everyone to sign to mark the occasion. A way to say, I was here. I was part of this. 2015 was our first year, so this is 2019, so this is the fourth. Hey, you too. Looking around, Short Creek felt like a lot of other towns in America. Please help me welcome Mayor Donnie Jessup. Good morning. Thank you all for being here so bright and early. I know you had no choice with the sirens and the cannons going off. Independence Day has a whole new meaning for us here in Short Creek. And I just want to honor each one of us, each one of the soldiers, each one of us that have stood up and claimed our independence. And I want to honor all the family that isn't here, all the fallen soldiers, and each one of us. And I ask each one of you today to reach out to someone that you may not know, because they're probably family. And we all need each other. We belong here. Thank you all for being here. Welcome home. Thank you. All the honor gods coming up. There ain't no grave. We're hitting a few country songs in here. There's no graves gonna hold our bodies down. Shame is a prison as cruel as the grave. There was a stage set up at the park for community members. We watched teens perform choreographed dances and a skit where little kids dressed as devils and fought other kids dressed as angels. We listened to country songs by sturdy men in Stetson hats and heavy metal by a band of brothers. And then a young girl got on stage by herself with no band or backing track and started singing Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah. Faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof, her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you. The girl's name is Deja Cook, and at the time she was 12. Her parents were raised FLDS, but Deja wasn't. I was struck when I heard her up there all alone, giving it everything she had. I gotta be honest, I got goosebumps, and I started to tear up a little. Well, maybe there's a God above, but all I've ever learned from love is There's a book by music journalist Alan Light about the song Hallelujah. It quotes Leonard Cohen as saying, 
This world is full of conflicts and full of things that cannot be reconciled. But there are moments when we can reconcile and embrace the whole mess. And that's what I mean by hallelujah. That regardless of what the impossibility of the situation is, there is a moment when you open your mouth and you throw open your arms and you embrace the thing and you just say, hallelujah, blessed is the name. When Deja got to the part of the song that says, love is not a victory march, it's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah, I realized this is Short Creek. It's full of contradictions and complexity. It's the holy and the broken. It's the sacred and the profane. It's the 12-year-old girl in a town once run by a fundamentalist Mormon church singing a song by a Jew to a crowd of ex-believers and Gentiles. It's the joy and the pain, the trauma and the healing. It's the embrace of the whole mess. Hallelujah. This was the final episode of this season of Unfinished. Our amazing production team includes Amy Westervelt, John Delore, Abigail Keel, and Peter Clowney. We had fact-checking this season from Naomi Lachance. This episode was fact-checked by Amy Westervelt. Our production assistant in Short Creek is Araya Hammond. And the show has been hosted by my favorite Arizonan, Sarah Ventry. Aw, and by my favorite Utahan, <laughs> Ash Sanders. Special thanks to Reka Murthy and Katie Ross at Critical Frequency for their behind-the-scenes story and research help. And at Stitcher, we want to thank Jenny Barish, Stephanie Karayuki, Claire Rawlinson, Trevor McNeil, Stefan DeFiore, and Aaron Nestor, who designed our artwork. Chris Bannon is Stitcher's chief content officer. Special thanks to Lindsay Hansen-Park, Christine Marie Caddis, and Jared Nickel for their time and effort connecting us with people in Short Creek during our reporting. We'd also like to thank and acknowledge the people who we interviewed, but whose voices you didn't hear from. Jeff Barlow, Lawrence Barlow, Leona Bateman, Angela Beisline, sisters Capson and Davila, Audrey Hammond, Jay Jessup, Jody Jessup, Mitch Jessup, William Jessup, Arnold Richter, Nordana Richter, and Christina Rossetti. Our original score was composed and performed by Allison Leighton Brown, with Ollie Samlin on pedal steel, Dan Brannigan on trumpet, and John Delore on guitar. Thanks to NPR member station KJZZ. This series includes tape from interviews I did while working there in 2016 and 2017. The audio of Roy Jeffs is courtesy of Voice of America and reporter Victoria Kupchinetsky, who produced the feature. Thanks again to NPR's Howard Burkus for the audio from the trial of Warren Jeffs. We also want to thank Space on Ryder Farm and the Special Collections team at the Dixie State University Library. We also want to note that a lot of our production work this season happened during the pandemic of 2020. Our team ended up in four different time zones working from our kitchen tables and recording in our closets. It wasn't always easy, and we weren't always the easiest people to be around. So we want to give a shout-out to many of the patient people who have supported us. Thanks to Mark and Jane Sanders, Dan Schwartz, Steve Riesenberg, Megan Cavan, Matt Gervon, Jude Joffe-Block, Dolma Roeder, Andrew Graber, Sam Greenspan, and David Fox and the Red Rocks Coalition. 
And of course, we will always be so grateful to the people of Short Creek who shared their stories and their thoughts with us. At the end of our interview with Alvin Barlow, we thanked him for his time, and he said this. Well, I hope that you'll receive it in the spirit it is given. So we want to thank all of you for listening, and we hope that you receive this in the spirit it is given. Thanks for listening. We know that today's episode and many episodes this season have dealt with some pretty heavy stuff. If you or someone you know might be struggling, please reach out. You can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or suicidepreventionlifeline.org.